You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. David, you know, David, a man after God's own heart, really messed up, committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba, became an adulterer, and then a murderer, had his, her husband killed so he could have her. And God took him to the woodshed as a result. And he writes in Psalm 38, he writes in Psalm 32, the condition of his life at the time when he was in God's woodshed, physically afflicted. He said, my back is filled with searing pain. God physically afflicted him spanking him to try to correct him. In today's message, Pastor Danny will remind you that there is a consequence for every sin. If you grew up in a Christian household, it's likely you were disciplined with the rod of correction that the Bible talks about for parents to use. But as an adult, there's no one around to use the rod of correction on you anymore. So do you just not get punished? Well, the story of David had some interesting insights. His sins against God didn't go unnoticed. There were consequences for what he'd done. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 with today's edition of The Living Word. to win. And if you're going to run to win, opening statement, get rid of anything that hinders, anything that hinders. Now, something that hinders in and of itself is not sin, but it becomes sin, if you will, and a hindrance because it weighs you down. It holds you back. You could become successful in life and you have money now and just those riches become a hindrance a hindrance. And sometimes your hindrance is not my hindrance, and my hindrance is not your hindrance. It's the same way on the second thing. If you're going to run to win, not only get rid of the things that hinder, but the sin that so easily entangles. And the sin that so easily entangles you might not have been the sin that so easily entangles me. For example, and understand what I mean. Thank God I've never gotten into pornography. And it's ruining lives today, especially men, ruining lives. It's never gotten me, and by God's grace, it never will. I've just never gone there. I've never been seduced in that way. But it's destroying so many lives. Get rid of what hinders and the sin that so easily entangles you. Jesus said in Matthew 18, if your right eye offends you, plug it out. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. Now, he's speaking graphically, not literally, though. He's not obviously talking about taking your eye out and cutting off your hand, literally. But he's saying, look, you better be serious about this thing. If you're not serious about it, then you won't be free of it. If you knew that there was some disease, cancer, whatever, on this right hand, and the doctor says, well, your body can be saved, your life can be saved, but you're going to lose your hand. 
I'd be willing to lose my hand. As much as I'd hate that, I'd be willing to lose it. And I think you would too. Hindrances, sinful entanglements, and want, run with perseverance. Endurance is a quality that every distance runner must develop. And let me remind us, Christian life is not a sprint. It's not a sprint. I ran track in middle school, I ran track in high school, and I ran track my first year at Liberty University. And every year, every year, from middle school on, every year, I'll never forget, about the first two weeks of track practice in the season, I would throw up pretty much every day at some point in practice because it was grueling. It was grueling. And every time I remember, I wanted to quit. I wanted to quit. Thank God I didn't quit. And after a couple of weeks of, quite bluntly, just giving it up every day, uh, I just stuck in there, you know, and hung in there and continued to train. And after a couple of weeks, that didn't happen anymore. And you got in shape. And you were able to run and run to win. Run to win. Persevere. Then verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart, so you won't quit when you throw up. In sports, listen, if you're going to be anything as an athlete, you have to be focused, focused. Anybody play baseball growing up? Some of you still playing baseball now. Some of you young people probably play on a local team, high school or whatever. And here's the one thing you're going to hear a coach say. When you're batting, here's the one thing. It's so foundational, but keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. You're playing shortstop. And then all of a sudden, one of these days, you know, the, thing, the ball comes up and misses your glove and socks you right in the nose. You know what happens next time? You start to think about that ball coming up and hitting you in the nose again. You turn away, and the coach comes out. Say, hey, keep your eye on the ball. You're going to really make it, and you're going to really win games. You're going to be the athlete. You should be. You got to keep your eye on the ball. You're playing football, and you're a receiver. I was a receiver. And I'll never forget, sometimes these teams, especially when they got, man, they got good linebackers and good defensive backs, and you know they do. And here the ball's coming to you, and you got to watch the ball, but you hear footsteps. <laughs> and you're tempted, and I've done it before, to look over and see how close that dude is that's wanting to clean my clock. And if you look over at the guy that's coming at you, you're probably not going to catch the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Golf, what you got to do? One of the most difficult things to do in golf. Keep your head down. Keep your head down. That's one of the hardest things to do. Thank God I don't have to do it anymore. I don't play golf anymore. I've been delivered. <laughs> I know some of you are golfers and you're good at it. God bless you. I become a free will Baptist on the back nine. I lose my salvation at some point. <laughs> been delivered from golf. You know, one thing a runner is never to do, never to do is look back. Philippians 3, when Paul, again, compares the Christian life to a race, he says, there's one thing I do, straining toward what is ahead and forgetting what is behind. I forget about what's behind. One thing a runner is never to do, if he's going to win real races consistently, you don't look back. 
You don't look back. August 7th, 1954, British Empire Games, Vancouver, Canada. One of the greatest mile run matchups ever took place. It was touted as the miracle mile because Roger Bannister and John Landy were the only two sub four minute milers in the world at that time. Bannister had been the first man ever to run the mile in four minutes. Both runners were in peak condition. Landy had a substantial lead for much of the race. Bannister's plan was to relax during the third lap and save everything for the finishing drive. But in the third lap, Landy poured it on, stretching his already substantial lead. Bannister had to change his strategy and increase his pace. At the bell for the final lap, the runners were dead even. At the home stretch, the crowd roared. Landy was once again in the lead, but could not hear Bannister's footfall. So he, you guessed it, he looked back. And that's when Bannister made his move. And Roger Bannister won the Miracle Mile that day by 15 feet. Back in Hebrews 12, he now gives us some very helpful reminders. Verse 4 In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What does that mean? Well, I translated it this way. It ain't as bad as it could be. In other words, you ain't dead. You haven't become a martyr. Oh, you're going through a tough time, but you're still alive. You're not a martyr. Then verse 5. And you've forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons and daughters, as children of God. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Did you catch that? That's an encouragement to say, look, you're going through a tough time. Your heavenly father is allowing that. And that is a mark that you are legitimate. You're really his child. Let me tell you what Peter says about it. First Peter chapter one. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold may be proved genuine. You're the real deal and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Proves you're legitimate. And then one last section, chapter 12, Hebrews, verse 9 Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. That's a general statement. That doesn't happen with everybody. (laughs) How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. 
But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Catch this next line. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Stop there a minute. My wife and I have gotten beyond this now. All our children are too old, really, to spank. We believe in biblical spanking. We believe in that. The Bible teaches that. And we've tried to be faithful when our children were younger in disciplining them with a godly rod, not in anger, uh, not, you know, violence kind of stuff, but just godly discipline. And neither one of us, my wife or me, remember one time, not one time, that any one of my children after that experience said, that was such a bonding moment. Could we do this again tomorrow? I just love being with you this way. No, 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 no. That's the last thing in the world. Audrey knew she's going to the woodshed. She just, ah, she just go cry all back tears and everything. She's the hardest one to spank, but I did it anyway. Did it anyway. Let me read you a couple more verses from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 24. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Not talking about an emotional hatred. It's talking about a neglect of something that's painful for both of you. But if you really love your child, if you really love your child, you will. Proverbs 19, verse 18. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Proverbs 22:15 Folly is bound in the heart of the up in the heart of a child but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. And then one more I love Proverbs 23 verses 13 and 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. You just sound like he's going to die. <laughs> punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. Now, that's a little side encouragement for those of you who are parents and have children that are still young enough to do some godly discipline. But I also read those because I want us to understand what Hebrews 12 is saying, that God, our Heavenly Father, loves us. And because He loves us, He will discipline us. Proves we're His children. And without discipline, we'd never mature. Did you know that Jesus himself as a human being, as a man, required discipline to mature? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, and bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect, mature through suffering. Hebrews 5, verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. One writer said this, God had one son without sin, but none without suffering. One son without sin, but none without suffering. C.H. Spurgeon said, I'm afraid that all the grace I've got out of my comfortable and easy times and happy hours might almost lie on a penny. But the good I've received from my sorrows and pains and griefs is altogether incalculable. What do I not owe to the hammer and the anvil, the fire and the file? Affliction is the best bit of furniture in my 
house. Now here's how I want to close. Stay with me here. God has a variety of purposes in discipline. The first one you think about that I've talked about a bit is correction. That's really most of the time the numero uno one that comes up. Uh, discipline for correction. There's a right response to correction. I'm not going to turn to these scriptures. This, this is all online. As always, you can get the notes online. But David, you know, David, a man after God's own heart, really messed up. Committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. Became an adulterer. And then a murderer. Had his, her husband killed so he could have her. And God took him to the woodshed as a result. And he writes in Psalm 38, he writes in Psalm 32, the condition of his life at the time when he was in God's woodshed, physically afflicted. He said, my back is filled with searing pain. God physically afflicted him, spanking him to try to correct him. Now, David responded rightly to God's correction. The psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 67 says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. David writes in the psalm, one of the psalms, and he says, well, when I, when I wouldn't confess my sin, when I hid it, I wasted away. But then when I confessed it, when he repented and confessed it and got right with his heavenly father, he was restored. Some of us would be physically healed because the physical infirmity in our life is a direct result of God's hand, loving hand of correction in our lives. But there's a wrong response. King Asa, 2 Chronicles 16. Overall, a good king, but near the end of his life, he made a terrible mistake, and he went back to the world's way of dealing with the enemy. He tried to buy them off, tried to buy off help. Now, God had already given him great victory by faith over another uh, enemy army, and so God sends the prophet to him this time and says, hey, why are you doing it the world's way now, basically? And he gets angry at the prophet, and he gets angry at God. He ends up, the Bible says, afflicted with a severe disease in his feet. But it says he would not seek help from the Lord because now he's got an attitude. He'd only seek help from the physicians. He responded wrongly. King Uzziah, 2 Chronicles 26, says he was successful or he was a godly king until he became successful. And then pride was his downfall. That was his Achilles heel. That was the sin that so easily entangled him. He went and tried to do what only the priests were allowed to do, and he took a censer, went into the temple. Eighty courageous priests confronted him, and instead of him responding rightly, he got angry at them, lashed out at them. God sent leprosy on his life. He became a leper. And the end of his life is sad. He lived alone, out of fellowship, out of fellowship with the people of God. And that's the way he died. Wrong response. Second purpose in God's discipline is education. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. That's heavenly food. Speaks of Christ, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you education that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Here's what God was trying to do. He wanted to develop in them an appetite for the heavenly because we're born with a natural appetite for the earthly. And those Israelites wandering in the wilderness, as God tried to teach them this, time and time again, they would say, why can't we go back to Egypt and get the food of Egypt? We're tired of this manna. We're tired of this heavenly food. 
It was a whole lot more physically satisfying to have the earthly food, the food of Egypt. And so many of them never developed, never learned what God was trying to teach them, to develop a heavenly appetite. And it has to be developed. Third, revelation. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, listen to this. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. I always like to remind us, that's not so God would know what's in their heart. God knows what's in our heart. It's so they would know. And so he brought them through these tough times, these tough circumstances to teach them and to reveal to them the condition of their heart. But so many times they ended up blaming their circumstances and blaming other people and blaming Moses, blaming the pastor, blaming Aaron. Some of you in that situation right now, and you say, it's my wife's fault. I wouldn't be like I am if it wasn't for her. It's my husband's fault. I wouldn't be like, I wouldn't have the attitude I had if it wasn't for him. He's such a dirtbag. It's my kid's fault. It's my boss's fault. It's my circumstance. It, and you blame all these things, and God's trying to say, what? look, you know, I understand the tough thing, but I've allowed you in this tough circumstance because I want you to know your heart needs surgery. Your heart. And sometimes those tough times bring out the true condition of one's heart. And there's one more. Maintenance. What do you mean by that? Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul the Apostle, one of the greatest apostles, one of the greatest missionaries in all of history. He saw people healed through his ministry. He saw people raised from the dead through his ministry. But verse 7, 2 Corinthians 12, here's what he writes, to keep me from becoming conceited like Uzziah and others. Because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Sometimes to keep us humble and dependent on God, he leaves the pain for our own good. Story goes like this. It was an old Quaker. He was a farmer, and he once had a weather vane on the roof of his barn on which was written in clear letters for everyone to see, God is love. One day a preacher came by, and this Quaker called the preacher's attention to the weather vane and asked how he liked it. Preacher said he didn't like it at all, that it misrepresented divine character. God's love is not variable like the wind. But the Quaker explained that the text on the weather vane was to remind him that no matter which way the wind is blowing and no matter from which direction the storms come, 
Still, God is love. Thanks for joining us today to study the book of Hebrews here on The Living Word. You can check out more of Pastor Danny's teachings throughout the Bible at our website, ccfstpete.church. Once you're there, just look under the Resources tab. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on the latest videos. If you have any questions about what you heard today or would simply like to talk with us, please send us an email. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. Again, that email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Be sure and let us know how we can be praying for you when you send us that email. In addition to that, we would love to meet you in person. So if you're ever in the St. Petersburg area, feel free to join us for our weekly church services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. Check out our website for service times and all the information you need to join us. We're also live streaming our services for those who are at home or live further away. You can find out more from our website. Once again, that's ccfstpete.church. Well, that's all the time that we have for today, but be sure to join Pastor Danny next time for more from the book of Hebrews. Our vision for this ministry is teaching the word, reaching the world, right here on The Living Word.